All right, so the last few weeks I've been preaching. Well, I didn't really preach last week. We had an incredible time in the presence of God with, uh, as a family together and that. But on the first Sunday of the year, I preached about the difference between routine or rhythm. And you decide. You decide if you want routines through your life or you want to set rhythms in place, okay? Life has routines, but we're speaking about spiritual rhythms that you set in place in your life, okay? And it's our own personal walk and with the people of God. And these feed us rather than detract from us, um, but mature us as we don't allow the world to set the room for us, but rather the spiritual things forming part of the kingdom. That's what sets the rhythm in your life. Don't other things that set the patterns for you you decide, you have choice in how to do this. And there are rhythms of grace that happens for that. Last week, I touched on this whole idea of that 2 Corinthians 3 passage about conforming to His image and being transformed from glory to glory. Okay, now if you look around the world, you look around people, even ourselves, it's amazing if you just look at fashion. Fashion conforms people to want to look like something. Okay, so people look at magazines or they look at hairstyles and they go, yes, like that's a cool hairstyle. I want that one. Or they have uh, design wear or clothes, whatever it is, and they want that. So you conform to an image, okay, that you feel for yourself will make yourself feel good. And you have confidence in like, man, I actually feel good about myself. But actually, okay, the conforming is not an external thing. We choose inner conforming, okay, where we live from the inside out. And it's from within we are changed from glory to glory, and that is the thing we are conforming to. Okay, today... I want to touch on the beauty of having discipline in your life. Okay, it's not a harsh, strong law word, but it's a beautiful word of discipline. Okay, and sorry, let's just welcome back uh, Yannick and Arlene, Mr. and Mrs. Luanberger. Sorry. So, you know, I just said the word discipline, Swiss German came to me. That's what happened. They were, on the 10th of January was the incredible wedding we had and that was just yeah, fantastic. So we had a fantastic time. Good to see you guys back and happy, both smiling. That's a good thing, good start. And that, but Luan uh, Berger, I must pronounce it correctly, eh? Not bad, eh? Pretty close. Anyway, but discipline, Swiss German. So we're in the age, in a time around us where there's lawlessness. Okay, lawlessness is the lack of order. There's no order. People just do what they want, how they want to, and some people get caught by the law and then shout and scream because ah, 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 why? Okay? There's lawlessness. We have it on every level of society. Governments do what they want from the lower society of people just do what they want. That's the world that happens around us. Okay? Everything is out of order. But discipline is all about order. Okay? It's not about control. It's not about law. And it's not forced. Okay? Well, that word discipline kind of brings a cramping to people. Like, whoa, you don't have to be so... It's not control, okay? It's not, law is not forced, okay? As Shalom, our friend, who's now up in the Cameroon, and he gave me this line that he'd heard from a friend. He said, I'd rather, I'd prefer the pain of discipline than the pain of regret. I'd prefer the pain of discipline than the pain of regret. Don't get to the end of this year and regret that, you know, because there's, the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It requires discipline, Okay, now we've got our 21 days of fasting coming up, of prayer and fasting, where we'll press into what God is saying to us. So it requires you to slow down and listen. Stop. So, Jane, you're always causing trouble. I need you here for an example. Okay? <laughs> Come stand here, Jane. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm in the street, and I'm going to have... Now, I want you to listen carefully. No, I'm going to catch me. No. I want you to walk away from me, but I want to try and have a conversation with you. Okay, so walk around. So I'm going to talk. Jane, hey, great to see you. It's fantastic to see you around. It's so good to know that you're doing well and you're Didi with amazing stories and stuff. Like, if she doesn't stop and slow down and listen to me, she's not engaging with me. She's on her own mission. Oh, <laughs> did you see that? I actually think I've, I actually picked your nose for you. That was amazing. You can sit down now before I smack your head and knock you out. Okay. All right, that's how, that's how we greet each other. We slap each other across the face. Okay, if you don't slow down and stop and listen to God, it's like having a conversation with Him while you're walking. Yo, yo, God, I'm honored. Oh, it's so good. You're so good to me. I just love your ways and stuff. Stop. Listen. Obey. It's very important. Okay, thanks, Jane. That wonderful example there. Stop and engage. 
Things change. The world is always changing around us, okay? Things change, and we need to learn to adjust to that change and not allow advance and change around us to distract us from discipline. The world will always demand and demand, demand from you. So there's so many changes in life and how the world has gone off. So if you talk to Ken, who's 94, and that youngster behind him is 80 now and stuff, the world has changed radically in the time that they've been around on this earth. But change shouldn't transform and change you. What changes you? Things around you shouldn't influence you. Okay, it's the things of God that transform and change us. So I was thinking about communication. Just think about communication, how communication has changed over all these years. Just think if Adam and Eve, they, they learned to speak. Well, God was talking to them, so it's clearly there was language, but they hadn't, I don't know, had an alphabet created, so they created an alphabet so that they could actually write letters, so then you can actually produce words that would be able to be written to other places. I'm just going to run through how communication has changed over all these, all these centuries that we've gone by. Okay, then the, the, the writing developed because of an alphabet. So what you got is you got firstly messages by mouth or by hand or by horse. He would deliver something back and forth to some people there or wherever they are. You, I think there were even pigeons that you tied something to a pigeon and he would send a message. Then in some cultures you had smoke signals, you know, communicating, you know, do not come this side. We will kill you if you come to this mountain. You know, things like that. I don't know how you read those languages in smoke, but anyway, you can. Then the, then the letter was written on paper, but paper was only invented after writing on papyrus. Okay, then the printing press. So papyrus, the printing press came in the 1400s. And then the royal mail was invented in 1512 for all the monarchs to send themselves letters back and forth. And then they thought it would be a good idea to allow just the rabble there to be able to also join in on this, uh, uh, being able to send letters back and forth at a small fee, of course. You can use our service that we send across, and Royal Mail is still running today, sending letters all around the world. The pencil was invented in 1564. The first newspaper was printed in the 1600s. That word newspaper came from that name was only given after this was produced. Then the telegraph came in 1837. A cable was laid across the channel from England to France in 1850, and in 1866 across the Atlantic to America. Connecting with the rest of the world. Oh, goodness, sorry. That's this thing that... Hopefully, but to take it down from here. Leave it there. There we go. Thanks, Pete. Okay, the telegraph. Morse code must have been in here somewhere. You watch all the war movies. Da -da 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 I don't know what that means it says, but someone's defining what that message says. The fax machine, 1843. That's pretty early for a fax, eh? That's what it said online, and Google never lies. <laughs> you all know that? I don't know. Telefax, telegraph. Telegraph's early in that, that man. It said fax machine. Anyway, but then Mr. Bell said it would be good to bell his friend, and the telephone came in, uh, what year was that? If I was listening in class, 1876, 100 years before I was born. And then communication with Australia from Britain in 1930, because you had a cable that you had to run and connect to the nations of the world. The typewriter, 1874. The fountain pen, 1884. And the early 19th century, a guy by the name of Lewis Braille invented Braille for blind people. And then shorthand was all developed. And then in the modern world, the 19th and into the 20th, well, 19th century more, you had radio. It was put together. Satellites came about. Then being able to broadcast television across nations. The pager, you remember the pager that you block on here and you used to get your messages and you had to phone someone urgently and you thought you were very important when this thing doo -doo 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 beeped and stuff. Little did you know it was coming in a few years' time because the cell phone arrived. And the first cell phone call was made in England in 1985 from a mobile telephone. Text messaging arrived in 1992. So you could text your friends and all those things and then the language shortened to things like LOL, which... Someone said, I just want to say that shame, my mother's passed away, and someone said, LOL, meaning lots of love, not realizing it means laugh out loud. So anyway, okay, the cell phone, text messaging, email, then arrived with the boom of the internet in the 90s, and cables all around the world, and if your internet is slightly slow in your house, and you are feeding from servers in America or England, there's cables that are broken near Ghana in Africa right now. That's why the internet in South Africa is struggling. 
So it's all by cables. Then there was instant messaging, WhatsApp, and then it's video calls. You could talk to each other face-to-face on a video. Now the social media messaging is nonstop. And I'll tell you what's coming is holograms. Holograms are the future for how we'll communicate. You'll see someone's face, and it'll be a hologram from your phone. I actually, about two years ago, felt this hologram thing and investigated to buy the hologram.com website or the the domain name, hologram.com, because it's going to become a thing. You tweet, you Instagram, you hologram. I'll prophesy. It's going to come. The, the, guy, the guy wanted 100,000 US dollars for the domain. It's not used for anything yet, but watch. It's something it will be used for. Hologram.co.za is also going at a fair price, but that's the future. Look how communication has advanced. Does that change spirituality? Not at all. That's, that's just one example of change in the world that we live in. That stuff shouldn't affect you spiritually. You work with it. Now we can send each other verses and beautiful pictures of flowers and the communication of God's good things around the world and fake messages about praying now because there's a war going on or you need to pray now but this person said it two years ago and it's actually irrelevant because it's now doing a new circle and a new wave of people it's created trouble too actually send this to ten people if you don't you're not going to be blessed by the Lord I don't. I really have never sent that on to anybody. But see, the world around us, things change, and we need to learn to adjust to the change, but not allow advance to change us, which detracts from the discipline because of the distractions that kind of press into that. You see, that stuff doesn't feed into you. It's just tools on how to be better communicators around the world. That's one example. So Lord, I'm going to speak about today. I've drawn from a book that I've been reading called The Celebration of Discipline, by the man, my man by the name of Richard Foster, who's a good, and he says this in his, about discipline. He says, joy is the keynote to all discipline. The purpose of discipline is liberation from the stifling slavery of self-interest and fear. Okay, I won't read that again, but you heard me. I'll read it again. From the stifling slavery of self-interest and fear. You, your things you want to do are more important than the things you have to do or you need to do. It's what you want. Singing, dancing, and shouting characterizes the disciplines of a spiritual life, not being dull drudgery. Oh, I'm before the Lord. My dad's always got the story there. Someone arrived at church and said, I've been praying all night. And the God, you know, no, no. And they were very miserable about it. He said, well, if you've been praying all night, you'd be happy. Okay? You'd be actually happy because you're in God's presence. Don't come with all sour and miserable. If you're in God's presence, that's what it'll do for you. Now, these are what these rhythms will put into your life. It actually brings joy. It doesn't detract. It builds into you. Okay, and the thing with having a disciplined life is that we never become experts at it. Okay, we're all beginners. We're all eager to learn. My mom always used to tell me, always, always be ready to learn. If you get to the point where you know it all, that'll be your downfall. Always be prepared to learn. Another quote from a famous man, Thomas Merton, says, we do not want to be beginners. No one wants to be a beginner. Not even my little guy at cricket. He's like, I don't want to play this game. I want to play that game. I was like, but you've got to start here. If you start here and learn the process, you'll be able to play there one day. We all don't want to be beginners. But let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything else but beginners all our lives. Okay, what he's not saying there is you will never mature in Christ. What he's not saying is you'll never attain to the good Christ has for us and in you and through you. He's not referring to that you'll never walk in power. He's not saying that you'll never walk in the true freedom of what um, walking in the things of God does. What he is saying is the reality of discipline is hard. I'll put my hand up to that. Okay, there's two, three, five agree. Discipline's hard. You all know it's hard because it requires something. It requires a, 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 a commitment to kind of be towards something. And those that give the air of being in total control, okay, that's just an expression. You see people, their lives always just look perfect. And everything just seems to kind of flow. That's just external, okay? That's just an external expression. They could be living off an old covenant law and religion, which can be rooted in pride, Okay? And some of you have never even started the idea and the reality of setting disciplines in your life because you're too scared to fail. So it's fear that drives you not to do it. 
Pride and fear are very big key factors in this process, now we walk forward. So what is discipline? What is being disciplined? Okay, I didn't go to the Oxford Dictionary and go and draw upon what Oxford tells us. Okay, discipline, okay, is an inner want to change and become perfect as to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the desire of discipline to lead you before that. Now, I know many of you have had these feelings. You sit here, or you've been around, and you're in a small group, or you're sitting with people, and there's this stirring inside of you, this longing and desire for more. You've all had that feeling. I just, I just, man, I just, I just love the word, or, oh, this is good. Okay, are you agreeing with me? You, you're there? If you haven't, we need to lay hands on you later. At some point, you feel the stirring of, yes, I want more. I desire more. Yes, Lord, you're good. I, I want more. There's that stirring that happens. Now, Psalm 42 uses that line. He speaks where deep calls unto deep. There's a depth in you saying, I want more. Crying out, God, there must be more. There must be more. Okay, and what happens? You've also experienced this. You get frustrated at the shallow. Christianity, that's just shallow. It's like, give me the meat, man. Give me something to chew on here. You desire more. Those are points of discipline. Build that in. So things like studying the Word of God, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of fasting, all those things walk into this hungering and desiring more. Now, it's not a frustration because of your sin and brokenness that's inside of you, but it's a deep spiritual yearning and longing for more of God. Okay, And I know we've all experienced that at different levels, at different times in our lives, something stirs inside of you and says, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I want more. And it's not a dissatisfaction. It's a satisfaction for more that God gives you. How do we respond to this? And I think it's important to understand what your hindrances will be in responding to what God is stirring in your heart to desire Him for more. So we live in a world today, as we see with communication, you get bombarded by stuff from every angle. Okay, So you get bombarded by the reality of safety, comfort, consumerism, materialism are things that you get bombarded on. A lot of it is probably subconscious. You don't even realize you're stuck in it. But that's the world's message to you all the time. Be safe, be secure, get enough of yourself, get enough for yourself, and just get, 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 so that you are fine with your own lives. And it's all physical stuff. It's all external expression. It's all stuff that you can tangibly actually hold in your hands. It's nothing about on the inside of you, okay? So what happens is that something beyond the physical world that you're just so used to being comfortable and having the things around you, attaining to something beyond that into the spiritual world seems too far to reach. Okay? Now, I might not be saying that to you. I'm saying that that's the general feeling of the church. So we are cut short by the truth of the depth of what we can go into because we are influenced by our surroundings of the world around us. So we want facts. We want reasons. We want how. So when things like meditation and being silent and these things are spoken about, okay, we have boxed them in and actually we, 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 the world would sometimes or the church would sometimes say uh, um, meditation is actually psychological manipulation because they've lost the art of what that was ours in the first place. So you box it in in some other kind of way. When we talk about the inward journey and going into silence and being in, 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 in my inward world and kind of stuff, we go, mm, okay, that's great. We give it a brief glance and we say, okay, come on, let's get on with the real stuff now, man. Let's do the real business. Let's do the real thing. There are people dying out there. We've got to do our work. Come on, let's get out there and do the stuff. But you don't pause there and hold in that little moment. We are programmed by physical. Do. Let's get. Come on. We've got to get up. With the per- there are people dying out there. We've got to save them. We've got to do something with our hands and make it work. So we're impacted by the things around us. The secondly is we don't know what and how to do it. We don't even know where to start. I've had this. If you look at the first century church, the patterns and rhythms of discipline was a culture to them. It wasn't an add-on. Fasting, prayer, and their lifestyles were set in such a way where the, where the, the Lord had left and His disciples and the church had flourished. There was a, it was part of their culture. Now you tell someone today, hey, we're going to fast for 21 days. The response is, What? 21 days. Why, why do you want to be so serious about stuff, bro? Calm down. Calm down. You don't have to be so serious about this stuff. And we don't know what to do. But okay, so how, how, how do we fast? Do we, um, is it means all food? I mean, only water. Are you, I've got a very busy job. I can't just drink water for 21 days. We don't know what to do. We've lost touch 
But the true foundational things, what are disciplines? That are our disciplines. Why does Lady Gaga sit herself in an egg for three days before a show? No, you laugh. Why did she do it? Because when she did the performance, she wants to come out so pure in her performance, she didn't want to be, be influenced by outside stuff. I don't believe she's saved and doing it for the Lord. She's doing it for herself. Why does she go to such extremes to make sure her performance is pure? Come on, man. We have it all for us and in us. So we actually don't know what we're doing. And we look at it in our own way and kind of not knowing what to do. Ask the Spirit. He'll show you. You know, you get like, so, fear. So you fear of failure, so you don't start. So here's the thing, okay? We all know the disciplines of a spiritual life is one thing. We can speak about them. We can know what they are. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Speaking about them and knowing what they are, them are two different things. You can, I know people who wax eloquent about, yeah, all the things of God and the things of the kind of stuff. And what, 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 but actually, it's not a practice. It's just words. Paul said, I didn't come to you with wise and eloquent words, but I came to you with a demonstration of power. Okay? Thank you, David, for saying that. You see, when you t- taste of the authentic words and blah, 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 all kind of stuff, it's just words. There's no, something you can grasp onto and realize there's something on that. We don't want to be those Christians that know all the stuff but actually never do it and walk into it. And in today's world, there's such a hunger for knowledge and breakthrough and science and all the technology that's working and around us and kind of stuff. And people pursue that and they give their lives to that. Surely we would be the same about our spiritual lives. It'd be the pursuit of what God wants to do in us. So let's back this up with some scripture. There's a really long introduction there, but that was pretty good. So... I'm going to go through quite a few different passages, okay? But I want to see now what happens at this point in our lives and we desire these things that influence us. We don't fully know how to walk into it and we are impressed by other things. We lose it. There's a big also reality in our inner worlds is the reality of sin. I know it's a three-letter word. Well, let's make it a four-letter word. Sins, okay? In our hearts and lives, we know that. Now this, what Paul says in Romans 3, Verse 9, he says, the heading, it says, there no one is righteous. So it says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? He's writing to the Jews, explained in the journey of the Gentiles and embracing everybody. He says, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, are under sin. And as it is written, none is righteous. For not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues for, to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He's speaking about a people who are bound with things that hold them back in spirituality. And sin is one of those things. And Romans 7, I love this passage. It's just such a honest way Paul speaks Romans 7 verse 14 it says for we know that the law is spiritual but I'm of the flesh sold under sin for I do not understand my own actions for I do not for I do not do what I want to do but I do the very thing I hate now if I do what I do not want to do I agree with the law and that is good so now it is no longer I who do it but the sin that dwells within me for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for I have the desire to do what is right, but, the, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to, but the evil I do want. <laughs> all these nots and whats and do's. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. Basically he's saying that I keep doing the stuff I don't want to do. Why do I keep falling to the same trap over and over again? Isaiah 57, verse 20 says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. The sea doesn't try and toss up mire and dirt. It just happens because of the way it works. Our flesh and our sinful desires in us just do, it stirs up stuff in you that is not great. It's not great to have. That just is, is what happens with the flesh 
and the carnal side of our bodies. Okay? And it just stirs up. So it's our old nature that lingers within us that holds us back from understanding and pushing into these disciplines that God has given us, constantly want to lead us on the path of sin and destruction. So when we understand this, don't do the things I want to do, and I keep falling into this trap and doing it over and over again. What is the good old charismatic response to when these things go on in our lives? What do we do? We declare war. Satan, I'm coming for you. No longer am I going to do this. Today is the last day that I'm ever going to be doing this. And then tomorrow you've fallen into it again. So it's things like, and we all there, you're giggling because you all know it's true. Anger, fear, bitterness, gluttony, pride, lust, substance abuse. And we very firmly say, I will not ever do that again. And then we end up doing it again. It's exactly what Paul's saying. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Because this fleshly desire in me is stronger than something else that needs to rise inside of me. Okay? So what happens is, you end up being morally bankrupt. You end up with nothing. Saying, I can't fix this. I can't change this. It's too difficult. And you ask questions like, does God really still love me? Really? I'm never ever going to beat this. And you're stuck in this moral bankruptcy of knowing I'll never get through this. And you've all, we've all felt that. Okay? No one is apart from this. And there's a flip side to that feeling of just the weight of sin. Is that, I think it would probably be war, worse, is that I'm winning this war. I'm on top of this thing. I got this. And we're proud of our external righteousness. Like I'm doing this. I got this. Man, I've got some seriously good self-control. Man, I held back from all these things. The temptation would come, and, you're, and you are proud of your external righteousness, that you are in your own strength working very hard to see the things of God coming through. And what happens in that is, and we know you act like that, is because your judgment of others is very clear. You're more proud of yourself. When you see sin in someone else, you judge rather than love. Interesting passage comes to mind there about whitewashed sepulchres. Jesus is standing pretty firmly to the Pharisees. All your religion is exterior. But inside, you dirty, whitewashed tombs. Really? That's what he's saying to them. So let's read Colossians 2. And this is in the King James, okay, because there's a, a translation here of a word that is key. Now we understand what's happening. Here we go. I thought Romans 7 was tough. Like, try this one. Wherefore... If ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of this world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a shrewd of wisdom in will, worship, will, worship, and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So in other words, what he's saying there is that you like look at all that going, and look what I did. Look at the righteousness that I achieved from your will, worship. See, your soul, and your, your soul is made up of mind, will, and emotions. So I've tried hard. Check what I've achieved. And you celebrate in your own righteousness. How far is that going to get you? <laughs> will worship. I love those words. You've been very good at, I don't touch this, I don't handle that, I don't taste that. Very good, putting it all together. I want to read that passage in, in, the, in, the, in the Passion Translation, in 2 Colossians verse 20. It says, For you were included in the death of Christ, and have died with Him to the religious system and powers of this world. Don't retreat back to being bullied by the standards and opinions of religion. For example, there's strict requirements of you can't associate with that person or don't eat that or you can't touch that. These are the doctrines of men and corrupt customs that are worthless to help you spiritually. For they may appear to possess the promise of wisdom in their submission to God through the de deprivation of their physical bodies. It is actually nothing more than empty rules rooted in religious rituals. Will worship. 
look what I did. I'm standing so firm. And Foster says here, he says, the moment we feel we can succeed, the moment we feel we've succeeded and attained victory over sin by the strength of our will alone is the moment we are worshiping the will, which is essentially idolatry. Because you're worshiping something that I've made happen. And we've all been in this. We've all tried harder. We've all failed, saying never again, but we get up and we fight harder. Where's it got you? Life's coming. Just listen, life's coming. We'll worship. Okay, we'll worship. The term will worship will last for a while and some measure of external success, but eventually the cracks and the crevices will start forming and truly start revealing your inner world that's in you. Our righteousness is not external. Our spirituality is not external. Okay, Matthew 12, 34. From the abundance of the heart, so the mouth will speak. So, if you are compassionate and kind, that's what will come forth. If you're bitter and twisted, that's what will come forth. You can mask it for a while, but eventually that will come forth. Who saw the video clip of the Pope being grabbed by that woman? So what happened was he's all like, and everyone's all, ah, the Pope. I mean, he's just another man, okay? He poops and wheezes just like we all do, okay? But we've made and elevated a man to be a higher place, and this woman grabs him and tries to pull him closer, and he looks and he goes, whack, whack, he whacks her hand. And he basically clapped her twice. I thought he hit her across the face. I was, I was hoping for more. I was like, come on, you know, just a hand up. Come on, that would, have been, that would have been more worthy news. But actually, what's in him came out. Don't touch me. Who do you think you are? I mean, this is actually a bit of a pain to be amongst all you people. Yeah, I'm doing the duty of being the Pope. I don't really love you. You're just an annoyance. He didn't say that, but his actions proved it. So he couldn't, in the moment of pressure, keep what is in, in. It just came out. <laughs> We've all experienced that. And eventually who you are comes forth, and the church is brilliant at acting this game. Morning, brother. Yeah, we're all fine. The family's good. Everything's wonderful. That's good. How are you? Yeah, that's right. Everything's good. But it's not... I remember, I was just reminding me when I was doing this of being, I was probably about 14 or 15, and Friday afternoons, we used to go with the youth guys, we used to play a game where you'd throw a tennis ball, and there'd be a tire, so you'd have, running around, the whole point was to get the ball in the tire, so guys would run and flick, so I was with this one youth leader guy, and he was a fantastic guy, I really enjoyed him, driving in the car, and as we were driving, this car pulled out, and we nearly crashed into it, and out of his mouth came the SH1T word, out of nowhere. And, we are, you know, you're 14, 15-year-old, you're looking up to people, and this word came out of his mouth because he's under pressure. And what's in comes out. Okay? Now, no, we all have had our moments, okay? That all happens. Okay, so true. Thanks for being honest. Okay, willpower has the same deficiency as the law. Okay? It can only deal with the externals. It is in, incapable, okay, of transforming you on the inside. You can try as hard as you want. You can actually be quite good at it, but then you become proud of your own righteousness. There's the two sides of the coin here. Not just those who just can't get it right. It's two sides. And it's incapable of transforming you from the inside. So your own efforts come to naught. And you learn to walk in the revelation, the gift of God. So Romans 5, 17 says, Before if, because of one man's righteousness, sorry, one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. There's the truth. Okay, it's a free gift. You cannot earn it. So we've got to this point. You're morally bankrupt. But you understand the revelation of this free gift that God has given you. So you, we all agree with that. But now what? Okay? So we agree, okay? Human striving is insufficient. Right? The harder I try doesn't mean the more, the more I get of righteousness, right? So we get to the end of ourselves. Trying harder doesn't work. Righteousness is a free gift through God by His grace. So I can't do more to earn it. 
So what do I do now? Do I sit back and say, God, I can't strive and do any more? I, I, I can't work harder at this. So we sit back and say, God, transform me. Transform me, God. And we settle. And we wait. And we wait for God to do something. Okay? But then here's the key. Paul speaks in Galatians 6. Okay? Sorry, there's two sides of that coin. The striving is that the woman striving, so we sit back and wait. Or there's the other side of we must do the good works. And the more we do, and the more we do for God and His kingdom, I will be transformed to be more like Him. Do works transform you? No, they don't. Just sitting back and waiting for God to move, transform you. No, it doesn't. Okay, this is what Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 8. It says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. Come on, Bay City Church. We will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So Tony brought a word about a farmer or about a seed being planted in your heart and your life. So what does a farmer do? A farmer just creates the right conditions. He gets the soil ready. He places the seed within the soil, and then he waters it. Okay? And then it grows. If he keeps the seeds in his bag and just doesn't plow the ground and then hopes for the best, do you ever think he's going to reap a crop? It's never going to happen. That's obvious. Your spiritual lives are exactly the same. It's exactly the same. It's what you're sowing to the Spirit, you will reap in the Spirit. And that's where growth comes. Okay? This is how we sow to that. Now, what Foster calls this is the path of disciplined grace. But I want to add to that. The unforced rhythms of disciplined grace. That's what it's about. It's unforced rhythms of discipline of grace that are upon your life. This is a beautiful process. And if you allow the power of divine love to slowly transform you from the inside out, you will start noticing the change. Has, have you ever seen change in your own life? Hey, I've seen change. It's like, wow, from I was there to there. There's no desire to go back because I know I've changed and it wasn't me that brought about the change. I just submitted to divine love and it brought about something of in me that now changes me that I don't want to revert back to that. You can try to revert back to it, but it doesn't satisfy because you've tasted of something that's more. So this is where the reality is, you see. You don't have to try, okay? So if we are speaking about change, Galatians 5.22 is all about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kind. That's the stuff that just flows from who you are. You don't have to try and be good and nice anymore. You are good and nice. So if you try and add on kindness when you've got wickedness inside of you and you tag it on, I'm kind, I'm kind, I'm kind. Eventually, someone will really chew what's inside of you and your bitterness and your, so that'll come out. And your kindness, the tag on, doesn't work because it has to come from within you. The depth of who you are, deep, cries out to deep. Instead of tagging on kindness or whatever form of godliness, you walk in divine nature. This is one of my most favorite verses. 2 Peter 1. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us to His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, <laughs> having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So learning to live from the place of the divine nature that is just God flowing out of you, in every aspect of life, under pressure, at work, at home, with your family, with clients, with all sorts of things, it flows from who you are. Why? Because you've been transformed on the inside. Not an external righteousness of, I'm at work, I need to be good and kind, but I actually hate these people and I hate this job. It's not going to work. You've got to find love in your heart for those people and the job, and then God will use you. Don't tag on scriptures and biblical stuff into your life and then hope for the best. It won't work. Because eventually they will see the true you. 
And here's the caution, okay, and I'm wrapping up here. Disciplines are not law. Okay? Disciplines are not law. Law leads to death. Righteousness, according to the law, is externalism. It's outside. Okay? We've said that a few times. We look for internal hard work change and external results. So what happens when we take these disciplines and we use them as law in our lives, what happens is we start manipulating and controlling people for external spiritual change. The church is full of this. Don't touch, don't handle, can't do this, can't do that, can't do that, and then you will change. Abiding to some rules the church sets, no dancing, no smoking, no drinking, no da-da-da, all that stuff. They set according to rules and laws for you to live by. It won't bring transformational change. Okay? So what happens when we manipulate and control is it produces, as I said right in the beginning, pride and fear. Okay? Pride, because we're proud of our external spirituality. Come to church, Bible underhand, oh yes, I love the Lord. But on Monday, you're a rotter to be around at the office. That on Sunday act that you put on is worthless. And you know what? Jesus sees right through it. He's not impressed. He really isn't. Because he's like, if only you really lived on the truth, because I've done that for you. Now you're taking it as your own gain and glory. It's called pride. And fear, because we hate losing control. We can't lose control. Fear and pride drive us. So what we do is we relent to try and manage people. And we try and get them to change. And we need, and how we need them to be, so we start controlling someone's spiritual world, which you can't. I keep telling to people, I can't change you. All I can do is help and lead and guide you by the Spirit. You're the one who makes the choice to change, to work as the transformation happens inside of you. But when you take law, it brings manipulation and control, which is birthed in pride and fear. And then when people aren't listening, you use control to try and change and make people more mature in Christ. It'll never work. Ever, ever work. And you can't do this to people. If you want to see change in people, the last thing you do is you tell them what to do. They won't respond. Show them who you are and the Christ in you and the drawing of, the, of what you carry inside of you draws people. You can't control someone's inner spirituality. So what's, we've said a lot here today. Okay, but the reality is it. Okay, this is hard. Discipline, being disciplined is hard. I'm the first to put up my hand. It's challenging. But do I give up in trying? No. I keep pressing forward. Do my very best, not from a striving point of view, but a gift that's been given to me in righteousness. And here's the thing, folks. It's stretching, but we have Jesus. Okay? The author and the perfecter of your faith. The one who's gone before you, who's given up his spirit as the wonderful counselor for you to be led and guided here on earth. You're not alone in this. You're not shooting in the dark, hoping for the best. He's given you all you need for life and godliness by His divine power, and you now become partakers of the divine nature. And then, as Johan prayed this morning, that people will see that you are His disciples by the love that you have for one another. You see, that, that is just a byproduct of being in Christ. It just comes naturally. The stuff just grows naturally. We're not trying for the world to look at how much we love each other. If we're acting, they're going to see right through it. That's why the church is so ineffective. Because it's a big game. It's an act. It's not truth. That's what we're after. That's why we're going after these things of God. And I want to encourage you, we can do this. You can do this. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. This is not a political rally to try and enthuse you to support me. And we will do this together. Vote for me. It doesn't work like that. It's you deciding that you want to live a life for God. You want to dedicate everything that you have for Him. You want to be deep and spiritual. I, I encourage you, go to this thing with John. I've sat under John's teaching quite a lot. And there's a depth of truth there that'll take you deeper. Will it happen in the first Saturday that you sit there? Never, ever. Will you be impacted? Yes. If you look after two years, you'll be slowly transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Let's just stand together. I want us just to pray a little bit together in this place. Sorry.
Trace, if you can just, Tracy, if you could just come play a bit of keys there. I really, I want to take a moment here. Okay, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go that long over. But let's just, let's just get before the Lord. Actually, almost let's be quiet. Okay, just hold with the keyboard there. Just hold there, just hold. Let's just be quiet before the Lord. Okay, now engage with him. Remember, he's, he's wanting to, sorry, the microphone. He's wanting to communicate with you. Stop walking away. Stop. Stop. Engage. Listen to the Almighty. Close your eyes. That does help you engage. Just focus on Him. You see, the desire to serve God and to do the things for Him actually comes from Him. Because He's placed it inside of you. And there's this wooing of deep calling out to deep. He's saying, come deeper. Come deeper. He's drawing you. You respond to what the Spirit is calling out in you. And there's a few groups of people here. There's a few of you that have known this deep longing for more. But you've just not set the disciplines in place to pursue it. That's where grace comes in. You see, He will enable you to be able to press in to these things. What I want to say to you this morning is don't wait any longer. Set them in order. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Don't live from the corrupt nature of the flesh. Live from the divine nature that Christ has given inside of you. And as you pursue Him, watch what starts happening. So I want you to listen to that. If you've known that longing, you've not responded, listen to the Spirit today. Now I think there's some of us here that have to repent of our own will worship, where we've looked at how well we've done. And our own righteousness, and in a sense it's like a flag and a feather in our cap saying, sure, I'm doing okay. Do not rest on your own righteousness. And you in your own heart need to repent of that. You know that's you. Rest in righteousness. And the reality is I can't be disciplined for you. You can't be disciplined for me. But what we do is we encourage one another all the more for walking in the faith what God has given us. And as we walk in this together, I want to speak courage and strength over your hearts to set orders in this year of spiritual rhythms It'll feed you. It'll not detract ever from you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, as Tracy plays, I just want to create a space here for, I'm happy to pray for people. And that if you feel there's that longing in your heart, that you know that you want to respond to God, I want you to come and stand in the front and we'll pray with you. If you know that, Will worship has been something that you've just kind of known your own heart. Sure, I have been quite proud of my own righteousness. You need to repent of that. We don't need to pray with you. You get before God and say, God, I, I know I can't do this in my own strength. Okay. And I want to release you. We can go from here and do that. But if you want prayer, that you know there's been a longing in your heart for desiring the deeper things of God, it doesn't come about, about by sitting and waiting for God to transform you. You actually need to sow those seeds in the ground. You sow to the Spirit, and you will reap in the Spirit. And that's where transformation will come from. It's a journey. Seeds don't sprout overnight either. It takes time. An olive tree can take up to three to four years before it produces olives. This stuff takes time. Press in. So as we just end off here today, I want to pray over you. And if you're desiring more, and something I felt right at the beginning of the worship is God wants to restore to many of you, your first love, that desire of just being with Jesus, just spending time, wasting time on Jesus. He's calling you. He's saying, set it in order this year, Bay City Church. Desire me, press into me, and watch what I will do in and through you as a people. So as we close, I want to pray, but if you want to come to the front, and we'll just pray with you, and we'll hold into that space. So Lord, we want to thank you that we know we cannot earn anything of our own righteousness we rest in you today lord jesus thanking you for the free gift of righteousness we have today because of what you paid for us and lord i pray over those that have felt this desire and longing in their hearts for more but have just not responded i pray that today they respond to your spirit and say i want to set an order in today don't wait for tomorrow today is the day of the lord as paul said what it says in hebrews 
And those of you that need to repent, get before the Lord in your own heart and just say, God, I'm sorry that I've trusted my own strength here, my own will to get me through and make me look more righteous. That doesn't change me at all. Father, I rest in your unfailing love for me. Your divine love and power inside has given me everything I need by your power to live this divine nature. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But yet you've poured it out to me. And I speak restoring of first love over hearts this morning. That serving you in the disciplines is not a duty and a routine and a law. It's out of relational desire to be one with you. So lead us deeper this year, Lord. Lead us deeper into your presence. Oh, And as Trace just plays there, uh, I want to release you guys. If you've got to go, I know getting children and all that stuff. But then also, if you want to come to the front, just hover here and we'll just come and pray with you. Even get on your knees like some people here. Come before the Lord and rest in Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Martin just wants to share something quickly, yeah? I just really feel compelled to share this and just exactly what um, Sheldon has just said. There's such a sense of just um, the excitement of someone you've fallen in love with and you're excited to see them. And, and I want to just caution us against, you know, Romans 8 says, the mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Setting our mind on the spirit is like the way you set your mind on, on your lover, on someone you are just desperate to see and just be with. And here's the mistake that we make is if, if you say in your heart right now, tomorrow morning I will, you've fallen into legalism again. That's again setting yourself up for legalism of saying, tomorrow morning I will. That's legalism. Setting your mind on the Spirit means right now decide, I just want to be with Jesus. Just set your mind on Him. Just set your mind on Him. Think of today. Think of how you can be with Him today. This afternoon, this evening, just think of being with Jesus. Don't set a thing of, oh, tomorrow it'll be, I'm going to do this tomorrow. It's not tomorrow. It's right now. Jesus is calling you out right now to say, today I want to be with you. Today, whatever your day, whatever your plan for this day looks like, just think Jesus into that plan. Just say, wherever I'm going today, Jesus is going to be with me. He is my lover. I'm going to be with him, and I'm going to just commune with him. Thank you, Jesus.